Let me read our passage as we begin this year, our opening passage, and then let's, uh, let's share once more what we believe the Lord has called us to. Uh, Mark chapter 8. Let's stand together for the reading of the word. Sorry, there's a bit of, uh, bit of yo-yo, a bit of ping-pong, but it's good for the quads. It's out of respect for the word of God. Let's, uh, Mark chapter 8 says this. Then he called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? This is the word of the Lord. Grab a seat, friends. Don't know if you've had those moments in your life where it's like a meta moment where you consider the grandeur of the world. Now, I've never smoked drugs. I've done lots of other stupid things, but I haven't smoked drugs. But So I'm kind of going off movies here <laughs> and some friends, to be fair, uh, quite a few of them, for most of them. Uh, and it's like, you know, that moment, like, whoa, you know, like, Clouds are amazing, you know? Or like when you stare into, you know, uh, and you look at the Milky Way or something, and you actually consider, like, that's a, that's a sun, <laughs> that little dot up there. It's traveled billions of miles, you know? And now I'm just seeing it, and whoa, man. <laughs> that's insane, you know? And I read this stat last year that buzzed me out that scientists have done some kind of rough math on the odds of human existence. And it's, they, you know, again, it's, it's guesstimate stuff, but it's, it's insane. The number is odds of human existence, they reckon, are 1 in 10 to the power of 2,685,000. So to help you understand what those odds are, it's the same as 2 million people rolling a trillion-sided dice and getting the same number every single time. It's like, oh, wow, you got 550,343,279,007 as well. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Let's roll it again and see what happens. Like, that's the odds of human existence. So, and this is, next slide, this is the thing that gets super trippy. Like, you could spend your life, like, studying, literally, you could spend your whole life studying the complexity of an ant, in an ant colony, and just be like overwhelmed with the genius of it. Or you could like have a look at this little photo here. That once, this is going to be tricky, but that one little pixel is planet Earth, uh, taken by Voyager 1 when it was 6 billion kilometers from the sun. NASA turned it around, took one last shot before it got out of range or whatever. And like everything you, we know is on that one pixel. <laughs> it's like, whoa, man. It's easy to argue that it takes more blind faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God. Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in their heart there's no God, which makes sense when you think, stop and really think about it. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he's put eternity into our hearts. So the question I think for most folks is not, is there a God? The question for most people is, does he care? What's he like? And the Bible tells the story of this creator God, a God who's hugely generous, whose overflowing love leads to our creation, the creation of the world. 
And supremely, the gospel story is that God has come into our midst to show us what God is actually like. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Hebrews chapter 1 tells the story of the Bible and how it all leads to Jesus. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at, uh, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through, him, through whom he also made the universe. Listen, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, and listen, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, uh, of the majesty in heaven. So when we look at Jesus, we see what God's like. And that, friends, is good news. Jesus says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. He's a servant. He's humble. He radiates joy and peace and supremely the love of God. The more that you consider Jesus, the more captivated you become. He's fascinating. He's infinitely and supremely lovely. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin said, Christ is love covered in flesh. The gospel is great news that God is with us and he's come to show us God's love and to save us from sin and to set up God's kingdom so that we can share in God's life. And so I have a whole lot of like confidence in that Jesus is who he says he is. I have confidence in the birth, the virgin birth, the death and the resurrection of Jesus there's a lot of historical data that helps me come to that place. But my faith isn't just based on a lot of this evidence. My, based is, my, my faith is based on this experience of him. My, like, I've had these too many transcendent moments of encountering a presence of pure love to dismiss God anymore. And the more I've studied the scriptures, and it, it makes sense. So I've got some questions still, and some, I have my moments of doubt, but man, I'm fascinated by Jesus. God, he seems to me so real that he's more real than anything else. And ultimately, every one of us have to respond to this revelation. We have to answer the question, is Jesus who he says he is? And if he is, then we have to make a decision about how we respond to that. The Apostle Paul wrote that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we say Jesus is Lord, when we say that and when we mean it, there's something about our hearts and our faith and our speech that come together that ignite our spiritual lives. And that's salvation. But I want you to notice Paul didn't say if Jesus is your saviour. He says, I know if Jesus is your Lord, and if you confess that, no, he is my Lord, there's something that lights up within you. Uh, and this is the beautiful thing, that when we embrace Jesus as Lord, we get him as Savior as part of the package. It's a good deal. Yeah. Hallelujah. But Jesus is not a means to an end, a ticket to get to heaven or a way to get saved. Rather, Jesus is our leader, our lover, and our Lord here and now. And that is life-changing while we live, not just when we die. So Jesus stands before every one of us and he stands before us as we begin a new year and looks us in the eye and says, follow me, follow me, follow me and your soul will flourish. Follow me and your life will have deep meaning. Follow me and I will comfort you in your suffering. Follow me and you will increasingly be filled with love, joy and peace. 
as you walk with him more and more, we gradually discover a life that is free and deep and filled with grace. And so if we're wise, we learn to say yes to this love. We say yes to Jesus. And my invitation for us this morning is to say yes again to Jesus. Because you don't just say one yes to Jesus. You're going to say a daily yes to Jesus. And there are actually moments in your life, big intersections, where you've got to choose whether you say yes to Jesus or not again. Ronald Rollheiser in his outstanding book, Sacred Fire, says this, the invitations that come to us from Scripture, particularly from Jesus, meet us in very different ways at different times in our lives. We hear them in one way when we are young, another in midlife, and still quite a different way when we are old and facing death. Moreover, not all of Jesus' invitations ask for the same level of response at a given time in our lives. Some of his challenges are meant to bring us to a basic conversion. Some are meant to deepen that conversion. And still others are meant to take that conversion to its full term and make us full saints. At one stage of our lives, Jesus calls us to give up something for God. At another stage, he calls us to give up everything. And sometimes Jesus invites us to small conversions. Other times he invites us to martyrdom. That resonates in terms of my experience of God. It's felt like that in my life. It's felt like I've said a big yes to God. And I was like, oh, that was tricky. But yes, God, I'm in. And then like five years later, oh no, massive intersection. Oh no, do I trust him? Do I, will I be obedient to move to the bay and plant the church? Oh no, yes, Lord. Deeper conversion. Through all the challenges of the last couple of years, pastoring, yes, Lord. Oh, it would be easier to say no at times, but yes, Lord, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper to eventually we're just martyrs for him. We're living sacrifices. We're, we're all his. And so we are the people that have said yes to God, or we are the people circling around the yes. And if you're circling around that yes this morning, I love that you're here and that you have the courage to come to church. You freaking legend. Don't know if I could do that. That's hardcore. Well done. I hope that this... Uh, is helping <laughs> as you circle that yes. More of a funnel as far as I'm concerned. But you can say no. You can harden your heart, and many people have, and many people did. So the vision of our church is for Jesus to be Lord and for us to be his disciples, to genuinely be his disciple. More than a savior, we want him to be Lord. We want to take his invitation to follow him, to walk with him seriously. Because if you're following someone, there's movement. And so our vision is that our lives will be increasingly orientated around him, learning to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. We'll set another way to pursue his presence, to be formed into a person of love, and to carry his heart to bless others. And so there's this whole concept of ecclesiology, which is like, I think, I think theologians are a bit insecure because they have to make all these fancy words. All ecclesiology means is like how churches are wired and function. But I like saying big words, to be fair, like ecclesiology. Church architecture. Like, how's our church set up to fulfill God's heart for the church? How can we be obedient and respond to his invitation to follow him? And our primary focus, and this is going to, this bugs some people I know. Our primary focus is not sharing the gospel, mission, or the growth of our church. They are important things, don't get me wrong. Very important things. But they are downstream from the primary purpose of church, which is to be a disciple of Jesus. They flow from being a disciple of Jesus. And I've seen enough in the last couple of years to know that that is, that is not theory, that is reality. 
Our, first and foremost, our focus first and foremost is to make disciples and to be disciples. And as that journey authentically unfolds, the gospel is shared, mission is birthed. So therefore, we have a very, very strong agenda for your life. We are not here passively. I have a strong agenda for your life, and that's to radicalize you around the way of Jesus. Like we, have a, we do up front. Again, this is a division series. You can leave the church after this talk if you want. Up front, we have an agenda for your life to radicalize you in the way of Jesus. Our dream is that you'll be a disciple because we're deeply convinced that a disciple is a person who's fully flourishing. The, 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 the person fully alive is the most radical disciple of Jesus. That's how we find life. St. Uh, Arrhenius said, the glory of God is a man or woman fully alive. Like we, are, we give him glory as we come alive in our discipleship journey. Now, I've said this a few times, but, um, but often uh, there have been some issues in the church in the last couple of, couple of uh, decades, probably 30, 40 years now, where post-World War II, really, there was basically this kind of understanding that we're transformed by education. Like, you'll notice this. Every problem in the world, the only, only tool we can really go to is education. Now, uh, we live in a very educated country, like one of the best in the world. You can go to uni, it's cheap, all the rest of it. It's like if education could change the human heart, it would have changed it a long time ago. Education is super important. Information brings all sorts of revelation. I'm not dismissing the need for education in church or wherever. Super important. We're going to pray for our, uh, all the teachers as they start their term next week, whatever it is. It's like, absolutely. But information does not bring transformation. And I've said this many, many times. What's the thing that brings transformation? It's the application. So information can bring revelation. But out of that revelation, it's the application that will change your life. And that's where we've got a bit stuck in our discipleship paradigm for many years in the Western church. And so the core focus we have here at Bay Vineyard are learning practices. How can we practice the way of Jesus? What are the practices, the things I can apply to my life that help me be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did if I was him? Jesus himself said this at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is bookmarked with, with that riff. And then every little mini point has a little application around how you can live. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he makes it crystal clear. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice are the people that build their house on the rock. Paul continued this riff, keep uh, putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me, then the God of peace will be with you. It's when you put it into practice. So a whole lot of Christians have been like, man, I've heard a million sermons. I've been to heaps of Bible studies. I've been to small groups in my life. How come my life isn't changing? It's because you haven't put stuff into practice. We haven't, we haven't focused on the practices the way of Jesus. And so the vision of the New Testament is to see people follow the way of Jesus and learn these practices. Colossians verse chapter 1 says, he, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so, what, so that we can present everyone fully mature in Christ. You can be a Christian, I said this a bunch of times, you can be a, a two-year-old Christian that's done that same, that stayed there for 20 years, yeah. just stuck at a two-year-old level of maturity. But the, the burning passion of the New Testament is that we will grow in maturity in our walk with the Lord. So in terms of church architecture and what we're all about, there are three things that we're giving our time, attention, focus, budget, the whole thing. Like we're trying to set up our whole church around these three things. And that's the presence of God, the formation of his people and mission. To, or as with the more easy to remember riff, to be with Jesus, 
to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. So let's unpack those three things. The first thing, and, and, and everything flows from this first part, is to be with Jesus, to receive God's love, to commune with him, uh, that we love him because we first loved us. I love, I've got lots of photos now of this being outworked over the last couple of years in our church. I'm just like, ooh, like when I was preparing my PowerPoint, I took extra long going through photos, going, ooh, that's where we're doing it there. And I love, like, every one of those photos I adore because this is our vision outworked over the last number of years. Um, and, uh, and so uh, I love that we are living our vision on this front. And uh, we swim in a culture where billions of dollars are spent to distract you. Billions of dollars are spent to keep you entertained, to hold your attention. Billions of dollars. We're talking about a principality and power here in terms of biblical language that cannot be overstated. People have got all into conspiracy theories and stuff. I tell you what, just watch watch the social dilemma in terms of the number one principality and power at work in our world. It's it's the fact that we're just lost on this all day. We're lost on our device. Like that is... So like, how can we, and, and then we've, again, we've lost our way a little bit on discipleship, like teaching people how to pray and blah, blah. So, how, so we've been like, like tooth and nail fighting to take ground back. It's, it's like, it's default 101 Christianity that you spend time with Jesus in the word and in prayer every day. That's just base level discipleship. That's entry level Low, but like that's this, like when the early church had their catechisms and their requirements to be a member, the bar was high. Now it's like, let's just try and get people in the Bible at least once a day, even for two minutes. Oh, there'll be a miracle. And we have been, and we're winning that war. Hallelujah. We're winning that war. Hallelujah. We are taking ground back. And again, the train stops at every station. So, like, I know that this is an ongoing battle, but guess what? You're human, and there's a billion dollars being spent to try and keep you distracted. To have no interior depth, to not be able to be still and sit with the Lord like we just did and receive his love. It's okay. Of course you struggle. Of course you struggle. But I tell you what, failure is not that you struggle. Failure is that you don't even get back on the wagon and try again. You know what success is? Success is I'm just stuffing, I'm going to try again. That's a winner. Not that you're smashing it, that you're like not giving up the dream of being a deep person who's just filled with his presence, who sits with Jesus every day. And some days it's lovely and you sense him cuddling you. And some days he's gone on holiday somewhere, but you still do it. Because some days you have to walk by faith, not by sight. It's a walk, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. But you keep, and we talk about stacking, Luke had this great metaphor of stacking firewood. Some days it feels like stacking firewood. I'm just doing it. But I tell you what, when the fire falls and you got some wood there, oh, game on, baby. So this is our vision there. We want to be people. And so how's it outwork corporately? We have prayer meetings. We worship together. This gathering is super important. We have seasons like we did last year of prayer and fasting. The reality, and this is throughout all of Scripture, is that God comes where he's wanted. He's a gentleman. If you don't want him, if you don't seek him, sweet. He will respect your free will. But the Bible says God rewards those who diligently seek him. He said, ask, seek, and knock. He loves it when we're hungry for him. So for us, 
prayer meetings, coming to church, worship. This is just ways that we can say, we want you, God. But even then, it's all grace because we love because he first loved us. It's just like we come to worship. It's just this response to him drawing near to us in his grace and mercy. You know, I know, I know that some of you guys had the worst summer for your devotions ever. Like literally, you've turned up to church because you know you probably should. And you're like, hi, Jesus, that's right. Hi, good to see you again. And like, what did Jesus do for a whole bunch of you who just ran around you and gave you a big hug in the spiritual? You just felt his loving presence around you because it's not about your goodness, it's about his. It starts with grace. But I want to, come on. Yeah. Clap if that's you. Uh, Gotcha. Uh, But here's the thing. Spiritual practices and devotions are simply ways of positioning ourselves to receive the love of God every day. And that's how we're transformed into his image. That's where mission comes from. That's where our character gets changed. It all starts with an abiding relationship with him. Your soul is hardwired to abide with Jesus. And Jesus is very clear in John 15. You don't do that, you will wither. And we know what that feels like. But when you are plugged in to the vine, to the source of life, the source of love, then you start flourishing in your soul. So that's the number one thing. There is no more contested space than this. But Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age. I will be with you. He's there waiting. And so I'm like, come on, friends, let's do it. Second thing we've got is to to become like Jesus, formation. Uh, We want to be more like him. We're going to finish this morning singing that song. I pray that song becomes an anthem for us in our church. I just want to be like you. I just want to be like you, Lord God. Uh, And so, uh, again, what's in your imagination around who you want to become as you continue to journey with Jesus? That's why it's important, I think, to have passages like the fruit of the Spirit memorized, So that you're like, in your soul, you're like, oh, Lord, help me become a person who's filled with love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and patience and self-control. Oh, Lord, I want to be like you. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. So what does that mean? That's what God's like. That's just the fruit of the Spirit of being in Him as you become a bit more fruity, a little bit more like God Himself. That's what Jesus was like. Colossians 3, clothe yourself with humility. You know, all of these things, um, compassion and kindness. There's, there's a stack of scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, I want to be like that. Turn the other cheek and forgive us. I want to live a life of self-control, all those sorts of things. I want to deal with my anger, whatever it may be. Uh, this is super important. Now, this is slightly trickier because, again, our whole church is orientated around this. We're trying to, like, track how we're doing. Dallas Willard said the most important question any church can ask is, uh, how are you making disciples? And secondly, is it working? So we're constantly, hard to track the growth of a soul. Really tricky. So we've got things like the Father's Collective All Knowledge, Sabbath, Rest. Again, the more rested you are, the easier it is to love you hang out with Jesus, he's going to slow you down, not speed you up, all that sort of stuff. So we do these things to try and help. We're going to do a whole series uh, this, um, uh, for Lent this year called Practicing Resurrection, looking again at formation. How can we uh, see that new life burst into the world now? Bad news is you've got to die to yourself, pick up your cross. The story begins on Friday, ends on Sunday. New life bursts into the world. You've got to hug the cactus. You've got to embrace your grief. You've got to work through all that stuff. 
to, fl- to see yourself flourish. But, but I want to become like Jesus. There's, there's, uh, we've talked in the past about things like passive spirituality. Like there's things you are not in control of in your life. The season of life that you're in, you're not in control of for the most part. So the question is like, where is God trying to get your attention? In that, in this, like, what's he trying to form in you in the season of life that you're in? Like, what are the things that are outside of your control, but are actually a portal for you to grow a little bit more like Jesus? What do you need to stop fighting and accept? That's passive spirituality. Active spirituality is like, what specific sins or wounds do I need to address this year? What habits do I need to form? What habits do I need to break? That's more active stuff, which is where we can put some gas on the, you know, on the fire and all the rest of it and encourage you on that. So the passive thing is like you've got to sit with the Lord in prayer and just say, Lord, what? again, I would love a sink to see everything through the lens of formation. Everything's an invitation to be formed. Church is tricky, but it forms us. Because it's real community, it's a diverse community that gets together. And once you get past the honeymoon and the disillusionment of year one or two in a community and hit reality, it begins to form you, if you let it. In terms of teaching you to love others that are different from you, that see the world differently and all the rest of it. Everything's a portal to formation. Summer holidays are a portal to formation. Sabbath is a portal to formation. A great dinner is, 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 can be a portal to formation where you consider the beauty of God revealed in the grace all around you as you have a great feet or whatever it may be. That single malt or wine or whatever, isn't it amazing? All of it's a force. There's an invitation for us to see life uh, as, as a forming work of God to transform us from glory to glory. But the problem is, and the annoying thing is, it's a slow work. <laughs> this sanctifying business is slow. Let's just be upfront about that. Like, transform from glory to glory. I can say that in like two seconds. It's a lifetime of yes to Jesus. And it's slow. It's very, very slow. But I think what helps is to have a real person in your imagination that shapes who you'd like to be like. Someone with skin on. Because it can be a bit nebulous. I want to be like Jesus. But when I think about Eugene Peterson, that I want to be like that. Like there are holy men and women that have been in your life. Like that doesn't just happen. What he has done is said yes to Jesus over and, and let, let God do the deep, deep work in his soul. That's how you become a saint. My grandfather is another man who is in my imagination. I want to be like that when I grow up. And you know the best time to start practicing to be this guy is now. I want to practice being kind, practice being patient, practice being a good listener, practice... I want people at a certain point in my life to go, and this is what it was like with my grandfather, you hung out with a holy man in the last 10 years of his life. Holy man. Left just shaken sometimes. And this is what the Lord wants to do, and we're all about this. So let's walk with intention this year to to allow God to, to do his forming work in us. And can we go back, actually, one slide, Ramon? You know, the key, I think... Is, is revealed in this picture here of everyone kneeling up the front at the end of last year while the kids prayed for, um, for us. The key is humility. That's the doorway to formation. Yes, 
humbly we say yes to his invitation. You've got to humble yourself before the almighty God to let him shape and form you. He's drawn to the humble. He rejects the proud. He's drawn to that. He sees it over and over again in the scriptures. And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to invite us to say yes to Jesus as the altar call. And the reason I love altar calls, even though they scare me because I feel vulnerable, because a little part of my, my self-esteem is tied up about how many people respond, and I'm trying to work through that. Um, <laughs> God keeps reminding me it's his church, not mine, and it's his work, not mine. And he's the only one that can change the heart, but... But I want to set this place up. I want to set up these moments. And the reason I actually really love altar calls is because they require some movement, so some practice, some, some, something in the physical, but they also require our humility. And we are a proud, the Western culture is a proud culture. And so I think it's a helpful thing to be like, no, I want to consistently humble myself because that helps form me to the one who's the humble servant. And lastly, to do what he did. Out of, like it's from the overflow of being with him and it's from the overflow of his beautiful, sanctifying, life-giving work that you then get frothed on mission. Mission isn't some little riff that we share. Mission is a life that we live. Mission is like when you get so frothed on Jesus, you can't help but share what he has done for you. You know, I was so moved at uh, Josh's dad's funeral over summer, man. Like, that was just a privilege. And, like, I'm still processing that. And one of the, mo- there are many moments, but one of the moments was when uh, Stuart's colleague, who was not a Christian, said this line, Stuart didn't really share his faith, but he lived it. And I was like, man, that's a compliment. <laughs> like, you're all going to die one day. And like, what's your fu- I want a funeral like Stuart so badly, so badly. I want that to be my, like, man, what a, and you know, um, again, one of the things that's tragic is that we've made the platform a big deal in church. And because we've, we've just think we've all got to be like prominent to be special in God's eyes, but we've kind of got confused with significance and prominence. A few people are called to be prominent in the country or the world. Everyone's significant. And the most of us will live a life that isn't a big deal to, to the world, but it's a big deal to heaven. And like, I just want to live that life where it's like you have someone standing up at your funeral saying like, man, that guy lived his faith. Like, that was the best evangelist. Like, Stuart clearly wasn't an evangelist, and I'm not either, right? Like, he wasn't out there banging on it. But that funeral was the best evangelistic thing I've ever been to without, you know, some little cross and a little bridge and all the rest of it thrown in it. Didn't need it. Like, it was just unreal. That's mission. That's like when it just starts. So if you're like, if you don't know what to do for mission, so don't worry about mission. Start with being with Jesus, just get your devo sorted, and then out of that, you'll start getting changed, and out of that, you'll start doing some stuff. But again, over the last couple of years, I love going to our upper-click accountability thing because most weeks or every other week, there'll be some little story that's like mental when it comes to people being missional. I'll never forget, like, Andy, where's your turning up? And it's like, oh, you prayed for one of the guys at his work. I'm like, what the heck, you know? But out of that... You know, Josiah out there looking after his baby. And it's like, you know, out of that, you know, praying for dudes, like, 
Where does that come from? That's not because I've been preaching on mission. That's because the God who loves people is residing in our hearts and we're more attentive and attuned to his heart and his ways that it just starts spilling over. That's always the way mission is meant to be. Now, there's got to be some corporate expressions of that. You can see some of the things that we've got going on. But the thing is, sink deeper into Jesus and he'll wreck your life in the best possible way. The best possible way. Don't waste your life on things that don't matter. Give it to the kingdom of God. And and so the ongoing journey, the long obedience in the same direction that we're going to have in this church is we're going to keep saying, what's the kingdom dream that's in your heart? And how can you say yes to that in Jesus? That may mean doing radical things, tweaking your jobs, giving money away. It's always like sacrifices the currency of the kingdom, but it's always worth it. So I'm like, I love that we've got some stuff going on, but I just got to tell you, there's a whole lot more kingdom activity that the Lord wants to do through us as we continue to say yes to him. So I just don't know what it is yet, because it's not my job to come up with all the vision for the kingdom. He's placed the kingdom in your heart. We're called to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, ideally daily. And to live that more and more. So I don't know what the kingdom dreams are that you are still partly walking into. To say yes to it. And there's birth new ministries and new initiatives and pour our lives out as a blessing to this region. I come into land in a second with, uh, with a couple of practical things I'd like you to say yes to if you're like, this is my church, I'm in. But I want to just, before we go there, um, just remind you that it's super easy to preach it. It's super hard to live it. I love this from Dallas Willard. Anyone who says that it is easy to follow Jesus is a liar. Brilliant. Straight up friggin' mic drop awesome moment there. He himself said the way is narrow. I love this. But nothing we forego in the cause of Christ, wealth, popularity, kudos, not even our very lives can come anywhere close to the return. The price we pay to follow Jesus, whatever it might be, will acquire for us the most astounding bargain of our lives. That is brilliant and so true. That has been my story. <laughs> and, I, and so there isn't, uh, as we start the year, that's, it's, just, it's not easy to follow Jesus. And, but, but here's the reality. There is no neutral space. There's always movement one way or another. There's always movement. So Jesus is constantly calling us to follow him. And to walk with Jesus requires an ongoing yes to him. Because I've seen this way too many times, you are either going to go deeper with Jesus or you're going to get distant from him. That is it. You're either tracking slightly deeper or you're growing slightly distant. There's always movement one of those two ways. Always movement one of those two ways. And so it's not easy following Jesus and his work is slow, and it can be confusing, but let's keep saying yes to him. Let's keep this going. I want to spend a life that keeps going deeper with you. I love this, that, that um, in John 6, all the disciples turn away, you know, all these many disciples, apart from his 12, they no longer followed him. And Jesus looks at him, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and I love this. Jesus, Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There is an oasis in the desert, and his name is Jesus. And he's the only one that has the words of life. And many of us have tried all sorts of other things to find that deep satisfaction. But we're here this morning because, oh, man, Jesus, 
I wish there was another way, but you're the only ones with the words of eternal life. You're the only one. So let me uh, say there's, there's five things I would like you to say yes to as we begin this year's If You Call This Place Home. And it's absolutely fine uh, if you're kicking the tires on this thing. But, and also, there's a small number of people who have gone through such trauma in recent times that um, it's not appropriate for you to say yes to these things. What we want you to do is sit and heal with us and just be. We'd love to bless you, love to minister to you. So jump on Facebook now and just chill. But for those that are like, yes, this is my church home. Uh, yes, I believe in this vision. And I, w- I don't want to just believe in it. I want to live the vision. Um, I'm going to unpack the next two Sundays some real detail about how we can live this vision uh, by talking about a thing called a rule of life. And so I know pastors say this, but and I don't say it that often. I don't really say it much. Please come next Sunday. And to be really honest, I'm super gutted at every person that's not here today because it just flows on from what I'm saying today. Um, and I'm going to do a little email and stick it. Can you just encourage all your mates that are here this morning to listen to the talk? Because we are a family on a mission. And it only moves forward because people are committed to this vision together. We are on the walker together. And we're rowing in the same direction because we have clarity about everything I've just talked about today. Okay? So, um, so here's the, the five things I would love you to say yes to if this is your home. The first thing is to practice the way of Jesus. To practice the way of Jesus. This is before I ask you to do anything else like, yes, I want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. I want to some way, shape, or form, I want to live that out a little more intentionally this year. Um, and so, as I said, next week I'm going to talk about the rule of life. That's why there's a trellis there on the, uh, on the screen. What's that got to do with anything? A rule of life or a trellis? We're going to talk about that next week. What's the structures, the container, the things you can put in place in your life that will see you bear much fruit in Jesus? Uh, and so that's the first thing, is to be say, yes, I want to practice the way of Jesus. And can I just say, when we started this four years ago, it was like, will the church be up for this? And I, I just, I couldn't get here quick enough this morning. Like, I'm not like, oh, no, work's begun. I'm like, yeah, back in church. And I get to share this message because our church has been up for it the last four years. I love it. And we've seen growth and movement. And, and the, all oh, the best is yet to come. Yo, yeah, that's triggering. All right. Uh, number two, don't do it. Uh, don't practice the way of Jesus in isolation. If you call this place home, home, have a community around you. That can be a huddle, huddle of two or three people that, um, that uh, check in weekly in any way, shape, or form. Could be on Zoom, could be on phone call, could be face-to-face, could be on a messenger thread. Just keeping each other accountable around the way of Jesus. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's how I'm trying to grow. The, anyone can have a huddle. Like if you're not in a, a home church or an upper clique, it, like, there's no excuse for not being in a huddle. I don't care if you've got 20 children under five, don't know how that, and, you know, and, you've, and you run Microsoft, you can still have a huddle. Like, everyone's got time for a 20-minute catch-up every week to say, with people that you know and love, that ask you, how's it going? That, at the start of this year, huddles are going to be saying, so what do you want, where's the Lord calling you to grow this year? So have a huddle or come to Upper Click. We have, uh, this is all on our website and the rest of it, but you can um, come to Napier, you can Hastings. Uh, there's, uh, the girls have one on Wednesday as well here in Napier. Uh, or ideally go into a home church because our home churches are all geared around learning the way of Jesus. The third thing that we'd like to call you is to gather on Sunday. Now, um, uh, this is a big one. This is a healthy and holy habit. 
I like honestly, you can, of course, you're going to go out of town and you're allowed to. Fine. I'm not saying you've got to come 52 Sundays. We don't even have church every 52 Sundays. So if you want a break from church, we have them. Every weekend, the middle weekend of the school holidays, we just have a break. Because uh, the way we do church is tough on volunteers and tough on our gear, so we have a break. We slow it down. We're very intentional about rest. But for the rest of the Sundays, if you're in town, this is a spiritual discipline because you come to church. And because and, and why stuff changes when you come to church. You are going to leave with vision for your year with greater clarity, certainly, I believe, because you came this morning. You're going to leave with a soul that's lighter because we had confession and we had communion. You've encountered the transcendent beauty of God and worship. It was just stunning. It was just, I could feel it. So that's why we come to church. It's contested, I know. But there's also, uh, in terms of formation, everything I've mentioned around be with, become like, do what he did, 90% of that stuff's outside of Sunday in terms of church architecture for us. But on Sunday, in terms of formation, we follow the story of Jesus every single year. We follow the church calendar because the church in its wisdom has said there were key events in the life of Jesus that are so significant. We've got to cycle through them and sit in them and engage with them every single year because that helps us know Jesus more. And that helps us to be formed into his image. So we are in the season right now of epiphany between Advent and Lent. Epiphany is where we celebrate the Magi who sought after God. It celebrates the idea that seeking God is a good idea. So that's why we're kind of banging that drum. But then we're going to do Lent very intentionally. We're going to do Easter very intentionally. We're going to do Ascension very intentionally. We're going to do Pentecost very intentionally. And then we go into ordinary time. I love that that's in the church calendar because how much of life is ordinary time? We're going to one at a time. And uh, we always go through a book of the Bible every year. We go through spiritual formation things. We're intentional about how we set this whole thing up. So, uh, so it's okay to miss some Sundays, but how many Sundays is it okay to miss? Like people don't think intentionally about this, I don't think enough. So I am unashamedly calling you to make this gathering a priority as a healthy and holy habit for your soul. It'll help you with Jesus. And, you know, the way we did communion, I've been wanting to tweak it for a while. That, that, for me, was good, even though I was doing it. I'm like, that's a good habit to have confession every week, to have communion every week. It's a good habit to fellowship. It's a good habit to see the kids and the library. Fourth thing I'm going to call you to is to serve. We are a family, and so... Oh, we're laughing at... Uh, no, of course we're laughing at Luke. Um, but that is the gun show, man. I mean... Again, if you want to be formed physically, I know what, I, you know which team to go to, friends. Come on. Um, so we're a family. Um, we are trying, again, I'm calling it a serve, not because life is a lot easier with our teams full. It is. But I'm primarily calling it a serve because we follow the servant. And it's like, how do you become, like Jesus, according to Philippians 2, the greatest servant of all? No shortcuts to learning how to serve. You just start doing it and you don't like it, but then you keep choosing to do it. And after a while, there's something that begins to change in you because you've chosen to be a servant year in, year out for something that you become. Just one of those great saints who's just got serving in their bones. And that's what Jesus is like. So it's a formation thing. It's not just a pragmatic thing. We're a family. Uh, And lastly, uh, uh, if this place is home, I want to call you to give to it. 
Um, now, always going to be awkward when a pastor says you should give to church, right? Straight up. Um, now, a couple things. We obviously do want to build the cathedral. Um, that we've been doing some work over summer. The architects come back uh, with a couple of ideas, and so we like that one. Uh, so that's going to start. So no. Um, part of part of the reality is that um, uh, for us to lease a building, which we're planning on doing this year, to do all of our mid. See, this the thing I'm excited about. Um, and it makes it kind of credible as well, which is annoyingly helpful because I wish I didn't have to kind of PR it like this. But people like giving to mission they're not too sure about Sunday morning, if you're really honest, right? So we can't afford to do a place that's going to be great for our Sunday morning yet, unless people go bananas. Feel free to do so. Uh, but all of our midweek mission stuff is seriously like held back and restricted because of our lack of venue, so we need a building primarily for formation and mission activities throughout the week. Now, if Christians can't give to that, then whatever, man. It's like, what? But also, all this stuff isn't free. Welcome to reality. I need to put food on the table. I spend a lot of time prepping things and doing all this church architecture things. We've got team. We've got, and we've got, I think, the best children's pastor in the country. And I'm not just saying that. Like, we have a phenomenal children's pastor who's just... Phenomenal. <laughs> I'm like, I, I want to, she deserves to be paid top dollar in my opinion. I Like like corporate rates. Like, you know, I'm happy, don't worry. I want to, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't give anything, like that coffee wasn't free this morning. Someone next to you has paid for your coffee this morning. It wasn't much. But you know what I mean? Like you can't live in naivety. The reality is it costs to do stuff. Again, then you go to the formation angle. The God who gave his son invites us to become more like him. So I'm like, generosity again is one of those things you just got to keep choosing. And the lie the devil gives us is that if we give, we've got less. But again, the biblical truth is as you give, you become alive. Now, I don't, do, I don't believe in health and wealth stuff in terms of like you give 10% or whatever, and it's like God's going to rain. It's like... But I do believe in an abundantly good God who's always been faithful and I've never lacked in my life. But there have been lots of times I've given sacrificially and it's hurt and the money hasn't been there the next month still. This is reality. He gives money away. This is not gone there anymore. He can't do whatever you... Anyway, so I didn't expect to go on that rant. Literally, I've got two lines there. But it's good to have some straight talk, eh? You know, in church and all the rest of it. And we've got to start the year. And I believe in this thing. So again, I would never call you to something I'm not practicing myself. So me and Jim believe in this and we give to it. And it's the joy of our lives. And I know you guys do too as well. But here's the thing. We set up the APs and all the rest of it. And sometimes it's like, forget about it. Maybe, well, I'm, what I'm saying is like, maybe it's time. Can you just ask the Lord whether it's right or not? Maybe it's time to go up and it may be time to go down because there's preachers. Fine. Because he sometimes will say, you're like, I'm not going to ask the Lord, he'll always ask me to take it up. Maybe he won't. Because he's full of grace and mercy and kindness. And it's, it's fine. Maybe there's a whole, it's, dial it down, it's fine. I'm not trying to, there's no PR here and twist your arm. But I would love everyone. Because the Lord is good. And maybe there's mixed income coming in or whatever. And it's like, yeah, no, it's time we dial it up. Because we believe in this thing. And we want to see it flourish. It's, this is all invitation. It's just a straight up invitation. There's no, there's no like, but for those that call this place home, those are the five things. There are our expectations, and it's good to outline those. So as we finish today, um, 
on one sense, we keep like Nicodemus coming back to Jesus going, what the heck does it mean to be born again? And Jesus keeps saying it means you've got to learn to live life all over again. It's a whole new way of living. 